This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, special interview for you today. We've got Stephen Mansfield coming on the podcast today. He is an author, speaker, and consultant, and the host of two podcasts, the Stephen Mansfield Podcast and the Great Man Podcast. And this guy isn't just an author. He's a New York Times bestselling author of over 30 books. And so some of his books that you might have heard of before, The Search for God and Goodness, The Faith of George W. Bush, Lincoln's Battle with God, Building Your Band of Brothers, Choosing Donald Trump, The Miracle of the Kurds. Those are just to name a few. Guys, he's done a lot of writing and a lot of thinking on a lot of different subjects, but mainly he he deals with men's issues. Yeah, he deals with history and modern culture and religion and those different things, but this guy is a big-time advocate for noble manhood. So back in 2013, he released a book called Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and this was kind of a kind of a core book for a lot of people. It's a very seminal work in in the area of philosophy around men's issues, especially in in the church and things like that. But he's got a brand new book out that if you're listening to this on time, it was released this week. So if you're listening to this the day this podcast is released, this book was released a couple of days ago. It's called Men on Fire, Restoring the Forces that Forge Noble Manhood. I mean, just such a great title. It's an awesome book. I've, I've just read it. They sent me an advanced copy. It was absolutely fantastic. But let me just kind of read the description to you. This is from Amazon. This will kind of give you an idea as to what they're looking at here, okay? Men are in crisis. From every direction, they are presented with a deformed masculinity, one that sees women as conquests rather than partners, one that values success at work over success at home, one that hinders true and open friendships with other men who hold them up and hold them accountable, one that presents them as either the bumbling, disconnected dad in sitcoms or the predator in movies and video games and in the news. Men were made for more than this. It's time to rekindle the fire living inside of them and awaken them to the value of valiant, righteous manhood. Through inspiring stories and hard-hitting biblical truths, Stephen Mansfield uncovers the seven fires that ought to burn in a man's soul. The fire of destiny, heritage, friendship, love, battle, legacy, and God. This raw guide to the restoration of a noble, honorable manhood will challenge men of every generation to live well, invest in others, and leave a powerful legacy. Guys, we go everywhere in this conversation. We talk about a lot of different things. You are not going to want to miss this one. And without further ado... Let's get into it. Stephen Mansfield, welcome to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. Man, it's great to be with you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm so glad to have you on. You are one of the preeminent voices in the kind of the world of manhood and masculinity and the philosophies that go around there. And that's that's where we'll start today. You, you talk about manhood more than you talk about just about any other subject on the planet. Why is that? Well, it's because I believe, first of all, manhood, for the most part, masculinity is in decline in our generation, but it can easily be turned around, and it's the key to a lot that's wrong in our society. I mean, here we are, as you and I speak right now, talking about the coronavirus situation in our, in our world. Well, a lot of the solution to that, and this is no slight against women, is men being men, men being real men, men being fathers, men being men of character, men being, being men of networks and ingenuity and creativity. And so uh, I care about men. I love men. I want to see them reverse the course, the downward spiral of masculinity in our generation. And I, I want to see them be the solutions they can be in our time. Plus, I want to see them live fulfilled, happy lives, which they're not going to do until they find their purpose. So that's why I focus on it so much. 
Absolutely. And you, you definitely put your money where your mouth is because you do a lot of speaking and writing about this topic. And that's why we're doing this interview, because if you're listening to this interview on time, guys, this week you release a new book called Men on Fire, Restoring the Forces That Forge Noble Manhood. Just a, a very, very strong title to a very strong book. I just finished reading it. Uh, what was the impetus behind writing this book in this time? Well, as you know, I had done two other books, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men and Building Your Band of Brothers. Delighted for the impact those two were having. But one theme I really wanted to dive into are the fires that ought to burn in a man's soul. What really should be fueling a man? What really should be on fire inside of his gut as he lives his life? And though I had treated uh, noble masculinity, great masculinity, as I call it in my other books, um, I wanted to dive down and really delve into these, uh, I think there are seven total fires that ought to burn in a man's soul. And I felt like that could be part of the restoration that most men are looking for. So that's the theme of the book. Yeah, the seven fires you mentioned there, that's the fire of heritage, battle, destiny, friendship, love, legacy, and God. And guys, we can't go into all of those today because we just got a, a little bit of time, but go buy the book. It's absolutely worth your time. But one thing is you've, you've got quotes in a lot of your books and your book before the table of contents, there's a great quote. It's this, go forth to meet the shadowy future without fear and with a manly heart. And that's from Longfellow. And I, I just thought like when I was reading the table of contents, I was like, okay, that's a great, great place to start. But one of the battles that I, or one of the fires I did want to talk with you today is the fire of battle. You have this great story in there about uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and you talk about the word malakos and how that's how we get our term uh, malleable in our modern vernacular. But Paul was warning against people being too soft and people that have been created a perverseness as a result of their luxurious living and that we've got an, an enemy and that's our softness and our sensuality and our indulgence, our e easy living that we have right now. Can you kind of flow on that a little bit as to why that's such a danger for guys? Sure. We, we are living in a, in a luxurious world, even with coronavirus. I mean, what are we being asked to do? Go home, eat, watch TV. <laughs> you know, it's not like we're sure. being asked to break rocks or fight the Nazis. And so um, I, I'm, I'm glad for our prosperity. I'm glad for the wealth that we have. Uh, but we have to realize that it can make us soft, that it can make us, and actually that Greek word being soft to the point of perversion, um, that we can get real soft, we can get real cushy, and it can lead us to all kinds of deformity of soul. And so even though we have this wonderful wealth and, and all the luxuries that we have, for example, right now, while we're home in our coronavirus age, uh, we still have to be building in some hardship. We still have to be training ourselves. We still, for example, as I'll do every day while I'm home, do body weight exercises, keep the body in shape, keep in fighting tone, um, because battle is something we're made for. Uh, there are spiritual battles, there are emotional battles, there are relational battles of, of a good kind. You're fighting for a relationship. And then there are the broader battles in our society that are more the more traditional ones in, in the, on the battlefield and against crime and what have you. And so a man is made for battle doesn't mean he's a contentious person or a violent person, but he's made for, made for battle. And if we don't keep that edge, we don't keep that fire working within us, we don't keep that sense of preparedness uh, physically, mentally, spiritually, in every way in terms of skills uh, to go to battle, uh, then we're not going to be the men we're made to be. Well, and Stephen, before we move on to, to the next fire, just a quick follow-up on that one. Why do you feel like most guys, especially as they age, why do you feel like most guys take their focus off of making sure that they themselves and their body is, I guess, battle ready, for lack of a better term? Well, I, I think that we have uh, we don't understand the mind-body uh, connection. 
Uh, the, the, first of all, anything you really are involves your body, whatever you're devoted to, whatever you're given to. You know, you marry your wife. You're not just marrying her with your mind or your emotions. You're marrying her with your whole being, your whole body. Um, but as we get older, especially, uh, we tend to work on the uh, emotions. We tend to work on the mind. We tend to live out of our minds, watch a lot of television, read a lot of books, whatever. But we don't realize that the body is important. Uh, just, just think about what happens to you when you do a workout. Think about the reset of your emotions. Think about the future orientation that you have as you're doing, as you're lifting weights, as you're doing your body weight exercises, as you're going for a run. Um, you're doing something to prepare for the future. It's resetting you. It's putting a toughness into you. Uh, the hardship, the difficulty, the, the, what you're, the barriers you're having to push through. Uh, it's training your emotions. It's actually reprogramming your mind. So this is essential. And um, I, I think we've had tried to have a lot uh, in some of the men's movement. We've tried to have a movement that was about emotions and about the mind, but wasn't about the body. And I think we've got to build toughness. We've got to build uh, masculinity, so to speak, into our bodies. And by that, I don't necessarily mean just muscles and hair, uh, but I mean a toughness inside of us um, and take our take our bodies with us. Uh, as our, wherever our minds and our emotions go. So it's just essential that we, we reconnect mind to body and harness the body in service of the vision of masculinity we're trying to achieve. Well, you're speaking our language here with Undaunted Life because we constantly talk about spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. And typically when people think of those things, they think of strength, right? I want physical strength and there's there's the muscles and hair that you were talking about. But essentially it's, no, are you resilient? Do you have the ability to bounce back? It's great that you've read a hundred books this year, but can you sprint all out for 200 meters to save your life or to save someone else's life? And if you're not prepared to do those things, then you're not prepared to be a warrior. And that really dovetails nicely into another section I want to get into. I want to talk about the fire of legacy. You have a great section in there that I won't read in its entirety, but essentially you're talking about how uh, the men of your father's generation, these were people that didn't narrate life, right? They didn't narrate the world going on around you. They basically wanted to lead by example. And if you picked up things from them, then great. But the, the thing that was very interesting is I want to read this last little quote here is, as a result, I was left to figure things out on my own or to seek out mentors, which I've spent a lifetime doing. I love my father, but I learned almost nothing from him that did not come from quietly watching. Now, you're very attuned and sensitive to father wounds. People have heard people talk about wounds from a father or a mother. Would you consider the fact that your your father interacted with you in this way was a wound or are you grateful at how he did this? And, and how did this overall affect your views on legacy? You know, my father, I wouldn't say I had that it, that it produced a father wound. It produced a father gap. And that's probably the main way I orient to my father other than positively. There was a lot of wonderful stuff about my father and he impacted me tremendously. It was a hero and and in and, and many ways. But I had to get a, a friend to teach me how to shave. Uh, <laughs> I had to, right. yeah. I had a friend taught me how to change the oil in an engine. Um, I, I had to go out and seek mentors. And I'm talking about as of the age of 13 or 14 years old. Uh, my father was a war hero. He was a high ranking officer. He was an exemplary man. He had great affection for me. I knew he loved me. He never came into my room to do anything nasty. He never got drunk and slapped anybody around. He was an exemplary man, but he just did not narrate life to me. Um, and if, if he ever did say anything, it was like, you know, at a, at a, a football team did well on TV and it, you know came, came from behind. He, said, he would say something like, I love seeing a man improve on himself. And I would go, oh, okay, there's a life lesson, you know, but I got sure, it accidentally. Yeah. So all that to say, 
um, that having sought out mentors and having worked hard to become a, a good man who has skills and knowledge, um, I, I'm aware that we should be making it easier for the next generation. And so I narrate things to my kids. I'll say, well, you know, because I'm trying to be a good man, I do the following. I mean, I'll just let those words drop from my lips at a, at a restaurant when we're just all talking and yucking it up. Or, I'll, or some, my son will bring up some guy in the newspaper and I'll say, well, that's, that's just not, not how a man's meant to behave. I try to do it this way. And so there's constant lessons, but my kids aren't rolling their eyes and, you know, bored. And because I'm sitting them down and lecturing them for 45 minutes, I'm just narrating life as it goes forward. And that's a skill that my father, I, I think uh, if he had added it to his life, he would have launched both his sons, uh, I, I think, to much greater heights. Um, because we would have learned earlier, learned better, and been more secure in the process. Part of the problem with the father not narrating well um, is that the, you produce a great deal of insecurity. I step out in the world and I realize how much I don't know about what's going on. I don't know what to do with my penis. I don't know what to do with a razor blade. I don't know what to do with a car. I'm not sure what to do with a girl on a date. I don't even know what to do with pimples. And so right. I'm feeling insecure as I step out into the world. And of course, your teenage years, you're already a, you know, lean towards insecurity. So uh, all of that, uh, I think, was rectified by narrating life. It builds more secure sons, more capable sons, more achieving sons. Well, Stephen, I appreciate that very much because as we sit right now, my wife is in the third trimester of a pregnancy with, with a baby boy. And I've been thinking obviously a lot about being a dad to a son and what that looks like. And just having the concept or even the vernacular to say, narrate life. Because it's the same thing, I picked up a lot of great things from watching my dad, but he never really said explicitly, this is what you do, this is what you don't do. I just got to see it in action. And guys, uh, we're going to transition here to the to the next fire. And this is the last fire we're going to talk about. And this is the fire of God. This is the second to last chapter of the book. And this book is worth, or this chapter is worth the price of the book. I mean, this chapter is absolutely fantastic. I text you before this, that as I was reading it, I was like running out of highlighter ink. Like I was just <laughs> highlighting so many different things. And there's so many quotes we can get into guys, but you're just going to have to trust me. You got to get the book to get into all these fires, but it crescendos with the fire of God. But there's one quote. I kind of have a two-part question for you. So here's the quote from that chapter. Except for the growing number of churches that have learned to become men friendly, Church has often been a place where manhood goes to die. I care about it here only because I don't want attitudes towards church to keep men from God. Okay, so that, that's from a couple of different sections of that chapter. But a two-part question here is what is a man-friendly church? Because most people have never even heard of such a thing. And why does this perception of a lack of manhood within the church still exist today? Well, the fact is that if, if, if a church is not careful, and I'm, and I'm a guy who's pro-church, so I don't hear me being negative church, but if a church is not careful, it can emphasize a lot of things that on the surface look fem feminine. It can emphasize art. It can emphasize emotions. Uh, it can emphasize, you know, human uh, relations highly. Um, and men uh, who haven't been mentored and haven't been fathered or, or haven't been in that kind of environment can feel very put off by it. And the church can lean in a feminine direction. I mean, you know, probably the old joke uh, that, you know, that they're all meant to be critical of the church, but a man eating lion would die of starvation in most churches. Or, and by <laughs> right. the way, I, I was a pastor for many years, so I'm going to pick on pastors, but only because I are one. Um, that, you know, there aren't, there aren't two genders, there are three men, women, and preachers. And so, you know, it's a, it's a, all that's insulting, but it just indicates how we feel about, you know, those churches. Churches can be man friendly. 
uh, if they are intentional about reaching to men. I know of a pastor, one of the guys I respect the most in the pastorate, and uh, he decided years ago, he said, look, most church jobs are, are, are held by women. He said, I'm going to build a church that leans towards men, and I think it'll grow so well, it'll actually employ more women and be better for the women who are connected to the church. So he made sure that 80% of his jobs in that church, and by the way, it's a 10,000-member church, so it's got a lot of people on staff, were held by men. Well, the women are delighted. They love that their men are taking the lead. Uh, This church built a very man-friendly, man-oriented church. The, The pastor does triathlons, and there are events for men. Of course, they're taking care of the women too, don't misunderstand, but many more women are employed than ever would have been otherwise. Uh, and, and the wives are thrilled because the men are really being true men, godly men, righteous men. By the way, if you, if you, if you should ever hit your wife in that church, you will have uh, some men showing up at your door. That's how that church de- deals with things. And so it's, it's a wonderful situation, but it's because the church decided to reach to men, to emphasize masculinity, to model it from the pulpit, uh, and to uh, serve the women. And they're very well served and very, and, and very thrilled. So um, I, I think we've got to be aware that we've lost a generation of men, that, that most churches are mainly filled with women these days, so that, that's being changed, but, but have mainly been filled with women because the men are backed away. And we can win them back, but we have to have men-friendly churches. Well, as a quick follow-up to that, why, why do you feel like most churches seemingly don't even try to be men-friendly? They don't know how. They simply don't know how. And that's what I spend a lot of my time doing is talking to pastors and helping them understand how you do it. In most churches, uh, a pastor doesn't feel a personal need for a men's ministry, but he knows he probably ought to offer the guys something in the church. And so he hands it off to somebody who can do it. So it's two or three runs removed from him. It's a side ministry. It's something going on on the side of the church. And because women have better bonding skills, you know, you have a women's breakfast or a women's retreat or something like that. 80% of the women in the church show up. But with men, I, I speak often in churches where you've got 5,000 people and they're thrilled to have 100 men show up for a retreat. Well, that's absurd. I mean, theoretically, you've got 2,000 right. men attending that church. You shouldn't be happy with less than 1,500 men attending that retreat. So all that to say, uh, it's, it's a matter of the pastor uh, basically handing it off. He's delegating it. He's got it too far removed. He doesn't emphasize manhood from the church. He's afraid, I mean, from the pulpit. He's afraid he'll be criticized. He doesn't weave noble and righteous manhood through the entire warp and woof of the church like he should also weave noble womanhood throughout the entire church. Um, Men need a little bit more help. They need a little bit more pull in. Church is not an environment that's natural for them, whereas it is for women. And so he's got to lean towards the men, lead from the pulpit. In fact, I think most pastors should be seen as the main leaders of their men's ministry. Now, I don't mean that they have to do all the administrative work, but they should be the titular heads of their ministry, of the men's ministry, and it should be seen that way. And the churches that do that not only grow dramatically numerically, but they have very, very strong outreach to men that then, you know, has a lot, results in a lot of conversions, a lot of impact in the society. Absolutely. I really, really like that answer. Uh, A little bit later in the fire of God chapter from your new book, it's a quote here that I really want you to get into as well. It's this, I am also fierce about another aspect of this. Since men see religion as a feminine thing, and since God and godly men in history are often portrayed in unmanly ways, we often lose the masculine content of faith. It's there, but we miss it, or it is papered over by less engaging images. Can you can you go in a little bit further with that last part there? Just it's papered over by less engaging images. 
Yeah, when we tell stories uh, from history, from church history, for example, we tend to tell stories that aren't very manly. We tend to make a do an unmanly presentation of who Jesus is. Um, I, I'm not trying to turn Jesus into Arnold Schwarzenegger, but just a plain text reading of the four Gospels shows us that Jesus was a man. Uh, I don't just mean he was a male; he was a man. I mean, I was I just came back from Israel about two months ago, and I, I was again struck by how far they walked. I mean, to walk from the Sea of Galilee down to Jerusalem, which Jesus did dozens of times in his life, um, with his disciples teaching as he goes, that was a serious haul, man. We, that's the kind of thing we would put on backpacks and call ourselves a success for accomplishing in a four-day weekend. Right. Um, my, my point is that we, we've unmanned the stories that we tell, um, the, 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 the bonding of men, the physical things they went through, the masculine friendships in Scripture. Uh, the connections between men, the, 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 the connection between Jonathan and David in the Old Testament, the fact that Jonathan was such a man and events such a so masculine, um, aggressive spirit, uh, such a godly spirit, that his armor bearer said, look, do whatever's in your heart to do. I'm with you, heart and soul. I mean, that kind of response from the life of a man, from his heart, from his spirit, that's what builds friendships. That's what mobilizes men. That's what we want to have with our friends. And so we're not emphasizing that aspect of the scriptures. And it's very possible for a pastor to get up, tell a Bible story, and never refer to any of the masculine themes in that in that story. Um, you know, I, as you know in the book, because you've read it, I won't go through the whole thing. But when men read the book, they're going to find that I describe Jesus in a masculine sense. They had brothers who were suspicious of him. He had he lived, he did a, lived a very physical occupation. His father died early. He was hunted every day of his life. And we're talking about masculine drama every day of his life, what he went through, what he endured. And that's not even just the last six hours of the cross that he was on. That's his entire life. And so there are masculine themes of friendship and bondage. And, you know, I'll just use a quick little almost humorous example. I was just recording an Easter sermon uh, for a, a big old church here in our studio. And one of the guys who gets beaten up all the time when it comes to Easter is, is Thomas. He's always called Doubting Thomas. But right. Thomas was a man. I like Thomas. I talk about Thomas. I talk about his connections. When when Lazarus was, was sick and about to die, and Jesus was about to go with him, his other disciples said, don't go back to Judea. You were, you were threatened and almost stoned there. Thomas speaks up and says, look, let's go with him and die if we have to, but let's go see our friend who's dying, even if it costs us our life. I mean, that's a manly response. That's friendship. That's boldness. I see Thomas in a kilt, not as time, you know, doubting Thomas, as we often call him. So all that to say, you bring those themes out. You bring those themes out of noble manhood. They're right. They're on the page. Just celebrate them as you do everything else. And then men have something to feed on and model their lives after. Absolutely, guys. And if you like those comments, you're going to get more of that if you read Men on Fire. So make sure you check that out. We will make sure the link is in the show notes so you can pick that up. But another one of your books is called Building Your Band of Brothers. And guys on this podcast are familiar with me talking about foxhole guys. Like the guys, when you look to your left and to your right, that you're excited that you see them. Whenever you're going through whatever thing you're going through in life, you're glad that those guys are there. And you also have a chapter in the new book called The Fire of Friendship, where you talk about indirect connections and fire fire-free zones and call in, calling in reinforcements, kind of different categories of guys. So if you would, if you could even give us a brief description of indirect connection, fire-free zone, and calling in reinforcements, and why it's so important to have guys like that in your life. I appreciate that. One of the, one of the questions I would ask every guy listening to this is that in the coronavirus season, who do you miss? 
uh, who who do you, who 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 is it that you just want to call and connect with on FaceTime or Zoom? Uh, who is it you need speaking into your life to be a good man? That's that's a man with whom you have a a, a serious band of brothers kind of relationship. Uh, I, I believe that in ages past, our ancestors had manhood built into their lives. They grew up in tribes. They grew up in villages. They grew up in large families. We we however have a different kind of life. Um, we had friends real intensely when we were in high school and college, but now we tend to have rust friends. You know, that guy that's in our marriage, that, that was in our marriage that we haven't talked to in 20 years. Um, and so we have to be intentional about our friendships and intentional about building a band of brothers. The goal of the band of brothers is to have an arrangement I call the free fire zone. You need men around you who are, who are willing to say whatever needs to be said to make you a better man, who are willing to coach you uh, out of the situations that hold you in bondage and they form your life and help you become the man you're made to be. Uh, You need men who are able to speak to you bluntly and coach you and get you where you need to be, and you're able to do the same with them. If you retreat, if you pull back, if you don't have anybody close, uh, then you're going to be a fool, because a fool in this context is is, is defined as a man who is self-defined. If you're self-defined without anybody else's input, you're going to be deformed. You're not going to be right. I need men speaking to me. I need men seeing what's going on in my life. I need men who know my life without me narrating it for them. In other words, I don't show up at a breakfast once every six weeks and tell them what's going on with me so they can help me. I need men who hear uh, the bitter cell phone call with my wife or watch me check out the backside of the waitress or notice that I'm eating too much and I put on 20 pounds or, or hear me dropping the F-bomb. None of those examples are real. I'm just saying that's the, I need men close enough to hear me and know me and know what's going on in my life so they can help me achieve the vision of noble manhood. All of us do. So uh, the, the, the one quick thing I'll say about the indirect connection uh, is that the worst thing you can do to get men to, to step out and begin to engage each other is put them in a circle in a fellowship hall in a bunch of chairs and say, how are you feeling today, Joe? He'll never, exactly. be, he'll never yep. be back. Instead, you got to create indirect connections. You got to grill some meat. You got to turn on the game. You got to get a basketball and go to the, you know, go to the court. You got to, you got to do something where men can connect without the object being to connect. The object is to eat, the object is to enjoy the game. And men tend to connect while they're doing something else. Uh, they do studies with little boys where they put them in rooms and watch them uh, through two-way glasses, two-way mirrors. And girls direct, you can turn chairs directly to each other, look each other in the eye and say, I like your hair. Boys turn side to side though and start looking at what they can do together in the world. Hey, I bet we can beat, I bet I can beat you to that tree. I bet we can get Tommy to pull us in that wagon. I bet we can set that door on fire, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> so boys, boys connect by doing stuff together. They don't connect by staring in each other's eyes longingly and starting to, you know, say sweet things to each other. So men, men, even the shyest guy listening to this, this broadcast right now can connect with other men if he'll create some indirect connection. The worst thing you can do is circle them up in your living room, start asking them how, how they're feeling. Absolutely. And I'd say all the time that men connect shoulder to shoulder and women connect face to face. It's just a different thing that we have inside of us. And so to transition more into just kind of a general subject matter about, about manhood, there are a lot of times where I'm a little bit concerned about some of the, some of the things that are said and how that may affect men and women. And so you and I have talked about before, and you, you quoted again in the first chapter of your book about how 20% of college and university women are sexually abused. And let's just assume that that stat is completely accurate. Now, in that category of sexual abuse, there is actual sexual assault. And then there's also women that go on bad dates, women that get cat called. That's, that's all kind of in the same thing, but let's just say that we're true. When, when you talk about stats like that, or even Barack Obama or Joe Biden, who like to say that stat as well, 
Is that potentially damaging to women and to men? And the reason I say that is because if a woman thinks that there's a one in five chance that she's going to get raped walking on a college campus, it's like a war zone to her. But then also for a guy, an 18, 19 year old impressionable guy, he might think to himself, oh no, am I one of the five? And so can you speak a little bit about how stats like that or, or things like that might actually be a little bit harmful to folks as well? Yeah, I think they are harmful. And by the way, that's based on self-reporting. And while I don't want to be in a position of doubting women who are saying they're abused, you know, sure. we, we do need definitions. What is abuse and, and what exactly happened? But that's, that's exactly, that makes my case. That's why we need to be sure about our behavior. Uh, that's right. why we need to be sure about what we're saying and what we're doing. Um, I, I have absolutely no doubt that I have never abused a woman. Now, why, why do I know that? Because I had a father who modeled behavior towards women, because I had men around me who taught me a noble code about women, because I was right. a Christian sitting in church. And I was taught how women ought to be cherished and cared for um, because I conducted myself well. So I've never abused a woman. Uh, I mean, I've certainly sinned in my relationships with women. I, I, you know, I've, I've said things I shouldn't have said and been impatient, what have you. But I've never abused women. I would never be in that 20% stat. So even if that stat's half true, it's only 10%. Still, 10% of all women on college campuses are, are sexually abused in some way. Who's doing that? Men who are unprincipled, unfathered, untaught, untrained, unconnected to a vision for noble manhood. So you're absolutely right. Uh, that, that kind of stat can do some damage, but what it ought to do is not drive us away from women, not drive us away from a vision of noble manhood. It should drive us towards our moral code. It should drive us toward a, a manly code so that I go out on a date. And of course, I'm not in the dating years I'm married, but if I go out on a date as a young man, I know who I am. I know what my principles are. I know how I'm going to conduct myself. I know what I want that girl saying. Uh, when I take her back to the dorm on the other side of that date, Stephen Mansfield is a good man. He treated me well. He protected me. He took me out on a good date. He didn't try to do anything untoward. Uh, I look forward to being with him again. That's that's the kind of stuff you want. And so, yeah, there's no question that there's a lot of criticism of noble manhood out there. But that's why we've got to redefine it by how we live. Excellent. Thank you for your answer on that. And you mentioned this book earlier, and I want to make sure to bring it up again, because the first book of yours that I actually read was Mansfield's Book of Manly Men. And so I read that uh, a few years ago. And inside that book, you've got manly maxims that dovetail really nicely into the new book. But you talk about manly men do manly things. Manly men tend to their fields. Manly men build manly men. And manly men live to the glory of God. And I, I bring all that up because you've got some exciting news. And I mean, it's not exactly breaking news. Everybody knows it by now, but you've got a version of this book that's coming out in Spanish, El Libro de Hombres. I'm not great at uh, my Spanish pronunciation, but talk yeah. about the impetus behind even getting this book into Spanish and, and why that's going on. Well, I'm real excited about this. Um, this book was written almost a decade ago, and my publisher, which was Thomas Nelson at the time, now it's HarperCollins, uh, did such a fantastic printing of it, hardback, beautiful. I mean, I imagine you've got one, so you know what I'm talking about, unless you read it on an ebook. Um, it's very nicely done, beautifully printed, yes. lots of yep. graphics. Well, that, that meant it was a bit more expensive, and so they didn't want to just quickly rush it into uh, other translations. Um, and so now, finally, they have agreed, and, and it, I didn't have to twist their arm. It was their idea. But finally, they, they, they're putting it into Spanish translation. Well, this is really exciting to me because, of course, I care about my Spanish brothers, my Spanish-speaking brothers, but also because I know stats. I track stats of men worldwide. Um, in, in, in a lot of Latin America, for example, uh, you have a very high femicide rate, very high uh, women being killed by uh, their husbands or their male friends. 
In fact, Lima, Peru is the world capital for femicide. I mean, what's going on there socioeconomically is that women are starting to advance. They're starting to rise. Uh, The men aren't rising as rapidly. They don't know what to do with these women that are you know, moving into the managerial class and beginning to make money and breaking free from some of the, uh, the social constraints. And so the men, not knowing what else to do, uh, kill, their, kill their wives, kill their girlfriends, kill the women in their lives. Now, I'm not just saying that all Latin men are murderers. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying that they've got some strongholds down there of this kind of behavior. And so it's thrilling to me that we can get this book into Spanish, get it into Latin America, get it into the Spanish-speaking world elsewhere on the globe. And then, of course, I'm going to follow up with men's events. And so uh, as time goes forward, any, any, anybody who's got connections with, with people in the Spanish-speaking world where they can pull together an event, let us know. Uh, frankly, we were, we were scheduled for a big Latin America tour right before coronavirus hit. Um, we were advised by the State Department and by the people who were coordinating those events to hold off. But we're going to go back just as soon as it's uh, you know, safe to do so and follow up this book with some big events down there. But, but I'm thrilled because there's not a lot on manhood printed in Spanish. Now, this, this book, which has been, and I appreciate you saying it, one of the leading books in the field, is available in Spanish, and we're going to go hard after some events down there and see if we can make a difference. I'm sure that'll make a difference. And guys, if you have not picked up that book, I, I am an e-reader. I tell guys all the time, that is a book that you need to buy the physical copy because it is absolutely gorgeous. So definitely check that out. One thing that you did, you've done as well, again, you've talked a lot about manhood, but you've got something called the Great Man Project. So if you could give our listeners a brief overview of what the Great Man Project is and how they can get involved. Well, I appreciate that. What I want to do with men is not shame them, not talk about lust 24-7, not put them down, not chastise them for toxic masculinity. I want to call the greatness out of them. I want to give them a vision of what great manhood looks like and help them achieve it. And so we call our movement Great Man. It's capital G-R-E-A-T and then capital M. That we, we print it as one word. It's just a branding thing, a logo kind of thing. And so we call it Great Man. Our, our website's greatman.tv, for example. Our, our, our uh, Twitter is the same thing, Great Man. And so... Uh, that's that's our vision. That's our purpose. And so it's the way that I explain to men what I want to do. I am not trying to say that men are greater than women. I am not trying to say that I, I just want to you know produce Churchills and Lincolns. I want every man to find the greatness within him, to cry out to God, to take hold of what God intended for uh, men and for noble masculinity and to live out great manhood. And so that's what we're doing with the website, with Twitter, what we're doing with our social media, it's what we're doing with events all over the world. And now the three books, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, Building Your Band of Brothers, and Men on Fire. And I think we're going to have have an impact. We're also going to do video series. We've got a lot going. We're networking with the other men's uh, organizations in the world. We're not going to try to be an island because we are both in a situation now of great need for noble manhood and great possibility to turn around the downward spiral of noble manhood. So greatman.tv is where we're doing it. And we'd love to have you guys visit us. Yep. And we're going to have all of those links in the show notes. And we are going to get into the last section of the podcast here with some of our in more interesting guests. I like to do a section called, what would you say to somebody that said, and then I fill in the blank. And the thing about it is, is you only get about 30 seconds to answer. I won't have a timer on you, but it's, what would you say to someone that said blank? And you just got to give us a cursory overview of what might end up being a rather large topic. So are you up for it? I'm ready to go. Let's do it. Okay. What would you say to someone that said, the last thing we need to be doing is encouraging men to be more masculine. Masculinity is toxic. 
Toxic masculinity is an abomination. Toxic masculinity is damaging. But the one thing you do want is noble masculinity. Men leading well. Men being righteous. Men loving their families. Men being fathers. So you're completely wrong. We need exactly that. We need men to be great men. And it's the reverse that has caused such an abomination in our society. Excellent. What would you say to someone that said, why should we worry about the Kurds when we have so many problems to deal with here in the United States? Because we're in a global world and the Kurds are some of our best allies and we are going to be putting troops in the Middle East if we don't stand behind the Kurds. That's been proven. That's already happened during the Trump administration. We stand with the Kurds. We realign the Middle East. We stand with our friends and it will mean less American investment overseas. The best thing we can do if we want to make America great again, as some are saying, is stand with the Kurds. All right. What would you say to someone that said there is no difference between men and women? You've never been to a locker room. You've never walked the streets. I realize I'm trying to be a little humorous here, uh, but the fact is there's massive difference between the two. We ought to know it. We ought to celebrate it. Uh, This is something that's come from our universities, that gender is basically a social construct. Uh, That is absolutely not true. It's damaging both men and women. We need to be teaching women to be good and noble women, men to be good and noble men, and we will have a happier, better, stronger, more secure society as a result. All right, next one. What would you say to someone that said, a weak man is a safe man? No, a weak man is a man who's in danger. A weak man is a man who's making an angry wife. A weak man is a man who is raising up insecure, misbehaving children. What you need is a man who's strong. Doesn't mean he has to be muscle. He doesn't mean he has to have a lot of hair. Uh, doesn't mean he has to be athletically gifted. But he needs to be strong of character, strong of heart, strong of spirit, and strong of understanding of what noble manhood is. And then we'll have a better society because that will radiate out everywhere. Excellent. What would you say to someone that said, I can be fully man and not believe in God? You can be a somewhat better man if you have masculine examples, if you don't believe in God, but you will not fulfill the purpose for which you were made. You will not take hold of your design unless you believe in God and ask his help in the grand project of becoming a great man. All right. Just a few more here. Donald, or here we go. You know where I'm going with this now. What would you say to someone that said, Donald Trump is the most pro-life president the U.S. has ever had. He is a strongly pro-life president in terms of his policies, and I celebrate that. He's not the most strongly pro-life president the U.S. has ever had, just as a matter of fact. But it is absolutely true. His policies have been stridently pro-life. He's advised by pro-life people. He's appointed pro-life jurists. Uh, I celebrate that and and want to see it continue as a, as a pro-life man myself. All right. What would you say to someone that said a biological woman can decide to be a man? A biological woman can decide to change her parts to masculine parts to some degree, but she cannot decide to be a woman. She will always be a woman inside of a a, a rather denatured man's body. This again is is that view that the gender is a social construct. um, And so uh, we're doing a lot of damage. And by the way, imposing this on the young is absolutely devastating them. So untrue, unwise, misguided, destructive. Agreed. A couple more. What would you say to someone that said, we don't need to worry about history. We should only focus on the future. Well, then you will be as though a person was driving a car without rearview mirrors. You will be as though a person is driving, uh, trying to make a trip without maps. Uh, the, the past is not dead. The past is not just uh, uh, outdated. 
the past are the principles that we need to fashion the future. So we read history in order to shape the future. And the last and potentially the most important question of the day, what would you say to someone that said, Stephen Mansfield has the voice of a God? <laughs> I do not ever say that. Whenever that was said in scripture, somebody got dead uh, when they took the place of God. No. I said a God, not the God. Okay, uh, no, the voice I, I of a God. I don't want anything divine said about me. I accept that I worship God, but I appreciate the kindness of uh, of the intended compliment. I'm glad I have a voice at all to offer in this generation. But God, a God, the God. No, 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 no. Uh, I'm Stephen, and God is God, and I am not. Well, Stephen, we thank you so much for the time that you spent with us. That's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? Just guys, this is this this age of tumultuousness and suffering and hardship and difficulty uh, throughout history. Whenever this kind of season has happened, uh, always on the back end, if people stayed true, if people kept their vision, uh, if people remember who they were, there was a great flowering of creativity and literature and innovation and investment, uh, and there was always a massive improvement. So don't lose heart. We will get through this. The question is going to be, what are you going to be on the other side? And you're deciding that now in the counsel of your own heart. So take it seriously. Great days are ahead. Stephen Mansfield, thanks for coming on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Great to be with you, buddy. There it is, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed that talk with Stephen Mansfield. Here's the thing, guys, is, is guys do so many things where they're talking on podcasts or they're doing interviews or maybe they're doing their own show. I got to tell you, I think Stephen Mansfield is the best in an interview format. I've seen him speak live. We've talked about his podcast. You know, we've listened to his podcast, but when he's answering questions, you can tell his boldness that he's answering the questions with. He gets right down to business, but also his answers are just absolutely amazing. I really hope you guys enjoyed that. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivate manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So for today, I'm going to give you a rundown of all the stuff we talked about today to make sure you have the right resources. So first, we got the Stephen Mansfield website, so you can get a lot of the information I'm going to tell you about through there. But we've also got links to the Stephen Mansfield podcast and the Great we- the Great Man website and the Great Man podcast as well. So you can check out all that content that we talked about. Then I've got a huge link. It is his Amazon. So I told you he's he's written over 30 books. So just giving you a bunch of individual links. I don't want you to miss out on a book that might be to your liking because again he's wrote, written a lot of books about manhood, about presidents, about history, about a lot of different things. So it's a list that gives you all of them. But I did pull one of them out. I've got the link to his brand new book that is out this week, Men on Fire, Restoring the Forces that Forged Noble Manhood. And the last thing I've got for you is just a YouTube video of his speech that he did back in 2017. This is him basically talking about the concept of building your band of brothers over about an hour. So I think that you'll definitely enjoy that. So thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. We really do appreciate it. If you would subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please take the time to leave us five stars and a few sentences letting us know why you like the content. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the entirety of 2020 and the beginning of 2021. So if you want me to come speak on your podcast at your men's event, whatever, just hit me up info at undaunted.life. Again, that's I N F O at undaunted.life. Our website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Undaunted Life or Facebook.com backslash Undaunted Life. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro-outro track on this podcast is our song Defender, which is off their latest record entitled Guardians. The links to all of this are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.
Right.